we, we started a series a few weeks ago called Reset. What are those areas in our lives as we look to Scripture? What are those areas that we just need, a, need to hit the reset button? A couple of weeks ago, we looked about uh, our, our time in the Word together, our time in worship together, how, how it is you and I think about things. Do those things need a reset? Last week, we looked to Luke's Gospel and said, what do we see in the prayer life of the disciples? But more importantly, what do we see in the prayer life of Jesus? How is it we need a reset there? We're going to see another theme in Luke's gospel here that, that it may be for you and it may be for me, a place where we need to say, yes, I need a reset in my life here. And, and the first is, and you just, I could have, we could have picked multiple people in Luke's gospel who he presents uh, to us, but, but maybe we need a reset to, to see, as, as, as Blake so beautifully sang about this morning, to see the amazing grace of God for us. That we would understand anew His mercy is like a flood for us. When you and I might count ourselves out, and there are plenty of people in the Gospel of Luke who certainly felt that, were tempted by that. It's just like God to come and to reach and to heal and to save so let's look to chapter 1. We're going to start at chapter 1 like we did last week and go through uh, several chapters and see this theme. It's all throughout Luke. Anytime we see God repeating something over and over again, we don't want to miss it. And some of us are going to let our feelings get the best of us, but don't do that this morning. God is saying this over and over through the Holy Spirit, through his servant Luke, to the church to say, don't miss this that I'll come to you wherever you are, whatever you've been through, whatever you've done. If you feel like you're on the outs, I am a God who comes to people on the outs. And so we're going to look at Zechariah's story. And I already know I'm going to get some emails about that. My translation says Zacharias. I know there are two different names here and different translations. Listen, what's my name? It's Barry. None of you call me by my name. You all call me what? Barry, I, I, this is sweet. I've got, I've got a child in our church. I am Brother Blueberry, and I love it. You know, I'm a fruit to y'all, Barry. So whether it's Zechariah or Zacharias, you look at his life. Look at there at the beginning of, of chapter 1, 11 through 14. You're going to say, well, wait a minute, preacher. This, this guy's not on the outs. This is not somebody on the margins of life. Luke is testifying about him he and his wife are righteous and they walk blamelessly. He's got this priestly function in his life. Isn't he on, he's, he's in. He's got this high calling, cast by lot, knowing the Lord's been in that and he's getting to offer the incense offering. You can't be more in than that. He becomes a margin, a margin per person, as, as Renee said, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But I want us to just keep walking through Luke, and we won't have time to go through all of these because i got to have something to teach on Wednesday nights. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, so you can come back for the rest. But let's just go a couple of chapters at least. Go down to verse 26. Philip Yancey is right when he says of Mary, she is the first one to say yes to God and to, and to his son Jesus on his own terms. 
the first one to say yes. We get this beautiful Magnificat. We get this beautiful song of testimony from, from Mary later. And then I love what Bill Urey says when you get later to chapter 2, verse 19. This is the last positive use of the word heart in the Gospels. You're going to have to get to Acts before we get anybody, any life that has this positive heart, but it's Mary. There's so much rightly to celebrate about her, but she's on the outs. She, she can, you get to the offering later in Luke. They, the bare minimum, the least of the offerings, that's what they offer. Now these, these are, they're a couple who love the Lord and are risking for the Lord, so we know they're just struggling financially. A rural teenage kid, I say rural, she's from the sticks. 40 to 400 maybe were up in Nazareth, that kind of town. And you hear people complaining about that town. What kind of good could ever come from that town? She's got every strike against her. She's on the outs. You go drop down to verse 39. This has been a place of struggle, I know, for many of us, a place of pain. Listen, I don't want to know what the church gossip is. But there's always, you know, you're going to be tempted. Somebody's going to talk. I know what the church gossip is here, though. Because when Elizabeth talks about her struggle to have a child, in that day, in that culture, somehow it had come. And you see it as well in John's gospel. This idea that if you're struggling in any way physically, somehow that must mean that you've sinned or your parents sinned. So finally when she gets free and then the Lord gives her a child, down in verse 25, she's saying, I've got reproach among the people and you've, you've, lift, you've lifted that. On the outs, certainly she felt that. We get a picture as well of, of John the Baptist Mary's greeting when she comes to greet Elizabeth. Children were, in the, were on the outs in that culture. The Greeks, the Romans would throw them away. But the people of God believe, Psalm 139 that we talked about four or five weeks ago, it's God himself who's knitting that child together. It's the church who's always stood up for sanctity of life issues. And here's this picture yet again of John in his mom, leaping for joy in the womb. Uh, someone in, in the culture of that day that would have said, that's nobody, that's nothing. And Luke says, look at this child, leaping for joy. Just a few more. John, you get to Luke chapter 2. And again, whether, and I want to I say this about Nazareth, and I'm going to offend some people here. If you're from there, look, I... I I pick on my hometown, all right? I'm from South Jackson. We have our issues, okay? I grew up near Philly. Philly has their issues, but my daughter gave me a word of advice, and I've, I've held it over her in, in her in her dating. She told me that a friend told her, this is, this is hearsay. I'm not saying this is true, but when it comes to Rankin County, don't date the boys that come from towns that start with P. So I'm just saying... <laughs> I'm, I'm, there's lovely, godly people in Pearl, Pelahatchee, Pisgah, Puckett. <laughs> Stay away from them, maybe. I'm just saying, that's a word on the street. That's a word on the street from Nazareth. Nathaniel would say, again, what good can come from that place? A place on the outs. And then these shepherds in the Christmas story, too. These shepherds. It's a dirty profession in that, day, in that day. It's not what we would think of with David or what we think of Jesus and what's revealed in John's gospel. 
that he's, he's our shepherd. Um, they, they aren't even allowed in the men's court in, in Jerusalem to worship. You're on the outs. That profession so dirty, you, you don't get to be with the rest of us. You're on the outs. That's, that's the gospel of Luke throughout this. Now you get to chapter 3. The one other thing I will say, I love that when Luke, find, you can tell he's a Gentile. When he finally gets to the genealogy and shares that, what does he say? He doesn't talk about David and Abraham and those generations. He flips it. This plan of God to reach people it didn't just start with Abraham, but he takes it all the way back to Adam and Eve, really all the way back to God. He flips it and says, Christ has been sent by God. This has been in his heart always. This has been in our Lord's heart always to come and to give himself for our sins and to win for us a great salvation, to open the doors of relationship with God. Those who were in sin, those who were on the outs, those who have been struggling and are devastated, it's God who will come. It's always been in his heart. Heard a story this weekend I've not heard before, but it, it was told as a true story uh, from a pastor I'm serving with this weekend. And it's a story of three good friends who, who, during one of the world wars, are fighting in Europe. So they've left America, they're fighting together in Europe. And as they were growing in their closeness, obviously in the horror of that situation, one of the friends said to the other two, listen, you guys are going to be it for me. I don't have any family don't have a wife, and so if something happens to me, I need you to take care of me, because there's no one to do that. Would you do that for me? And weeks later, that young man died. And so these two boys uh, take his body to a local cemetery, which was near where they were fighting, and they went up to the cemetery, and the priest happened to be in the cemetery that day, and they said, "Could, could you allow us to bury our friend here? And he says, I can't. Uh, this, this, unfortunately, this cemetery is just for church members. But listen, your, your friend's given himself, not just for you all, but for my country. So right outside the gate, right outside the fence, we maintain that. We keep that area clean so it, he'll be, he'll, his grave, his, his place of rest will be, will be maintained. I want you to know that. I promise you that. Let's bury him there. And they had a service. The priests led it. And just outside the gate, they buried him there. After they had completed their tour, after they completed their service, before they left, they wanted to go back and to see their friend. And they got there, and they couldn't find the grave. And to be honest, not only were they questioning, they were pretty upset. This priest had promised that this man, who had died in his country helping uh, his people, he had promised to maintain the grave. And now the weeds had grown up all around the fence and they couldn't find their friend's grave marker. They couldn't go and celebrate and remember their friend. Well, they went and they found the priest. And they asked the priest, hey, you had made us a promise and you didn't keep your promise. And he says, I know. I moved the fence. I moved the fence. And so your friend is inside the fence now. That's what the gospel of Luke is about. That those who are on the outs in sin, those who might count themselves out in Christ, God has said, I'm reaching for you to bring you in. 
We've got to press through our feelings and to see the grace that's offered to us in Christ Jesus. It's all throughout Luke. That reminder again when we get to Luke 15, when we just may not sense the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and to see that father. I want you to get my father. He's like this this man who had a prodigal son who went and did all kinds of things, but the minute that son turned, it's the father who sprints, who races to his boy, who's moved in his belly. He doesn't just throw his arms on him, but the word in the Greek says he kisses him so much it's like a, a grandmama's kiss when she hadn't seen her grandbabies in years. There's just wet all over the face of that son. This is the love of my father for you. If we've been on the outs because of sin, repent and grace is there. But if we felt on the outs because of this world, our own inadequacies, whatever's going on in our life, Luke tells us again, it's just like God. It's just like God in Christ to say, I can come and heal. I can come and draw. I can come and bring you in. Do you need to hit the reset button on that? Or maybe because of Again, just whatever struggle that may be, you've kept God at arm's length, and Luke is a story of God bringing everybody in. There's another reset button here. Not only does God come to those people, runs to those people who are on the margins, but we also see throughout the Gospel of Luke is God then works through people who are on the margins. You've heard me say before, if you ever feel like you're not you're not good enough for God to be used. You're, you're in a great place for God to use you. He can work through a life like that. Mary on the margins, and yet look what God accomplishes through her life. Elizabeth might have felt on the outs, and yet look what happens through her life. Matthew, a tax collector, considered on the outs by all those people. All those who would ridicule him because he cohorted with the Romans, maybe they think he's stealing, and yet it's, it's Matthew who brings these tax collectors and sinners to the table so Jesus can get them and win them. He was on the outs, but I'm not, when Jesus brings me in, I'm in, and I can be used of him now. I don't have to be who I used to be. I can't let feelings of inadequacy or feelings of, of, of depression or, or feelings of who I was or my past keep me back there. For the woman who poured out perfume on Jesus with her tears. For the women, and there's a list of them in Luke's gospel, who were healed and blessed by Jesus. They're the ones providing the money to support Jesus' ministry. They're used of God. Samaria rejects Jesus. I think it's the heart of, of, of Luke's gospel. He set his face to go to Jerusalem in chapter 9, verse 51 and 53. And the Samaritans reject him. Oh, look what... Look where you're going, to Jerusalem, that place where we have struggle, but it's just like Jesus in the next chapter to tell the story of who? There was this good Samaritan. Let me tell you what he did. He can use us wherever we've been. If you and I will, will come to him, repent or come to him and press through our, our hurts and our feelings of inadequacy, if we've been on the margins and we come to him, he can use us. Let's look back again at Zechariah's uh, his story. What happens to him? Scripture says, first and foremost, fear gripped him. When the angel comes and he hears this news, he got gripped by fear. It got the better of him. Listen, this is forever in Scripture. Anybody in here want to let somebody know where you were shaking, when you were shaking in your boots? 
None of us want to confess that to others. When fear got the best of us, and that's what you have here, this man's exposed, I am scared to death. And then on top of that, this one who should know better, not only does he let fear get the best of him, but he talks back, and not just to an angel, but to Gabriel, and not just to Gabriel. Ultimately, Gabriel's just a messenger of God. He's talking back to God himself. You can't do this. This will not happen. And listen, he also is wrestling with, and this is what so often, I don't know about you, but me, I just want certainty. I want to know, okay, God, I know you're calling me to this, my family to this, our church to this, but if you could show me the other side, if I could see clearly how it's going to play out and what it'll be, then yeah, I'll step out in faith. But I have to be certain before I step out. We wrestle with uncertainty, not knowing the future and what will be. And you see that here. He wants to know how it will play out. And the angel says, because you didn't believe, because you didn't have faith, because you didn't trust that God will work, here is this discipline, verse 23. You're going to be under discipline. By the way, in that culture again, they all would have said, oh, that means he's unclean. As a priest, as a matter of fact, I don't even know how he got to finish his days out, as Scripture said, because they were so confused about it about that he's on the outs but he doesn't stay on the outs because it's just like God it's just like God whenever we turn to heal it's just like God whenever we turn to come running and so when he finally does believe and he says bring me that pad and says the boy's name is John and and has that obedience in his life what do we see here in Luke's gospel He's filled, this is pre-Pentecost, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's not just that he has the fullness of God in his life, but if you and I have been on the outs and we, we say, there's nothing you can do with this life, I'm just glad you saved me, but I'm going to sit on the sidelines to glory, till glory, I'll just wait here, because my own inadequacy, I don't, I don't think you've given me the gifts, I don't think you've given me the talents you can use, I've got so much of a past, what happens immediately after the filling? It's prophecy. This prophetic word, the, the Lord speaks mightily. This one who couldn't speak, as soon as he yields his life and says, yes, in obedience, his name is John, I'll do what you say. As soon as he does that, not only does the Lord fill him, heal him, encourage him, he uses him on the margins, but now in the center of God's will, being used by God. And we assume, if you go down to verse 80, we assume as well he's being used of God and raising up John the Baptist on the outs, God reached him. On the outs, and God used him mightily. Our uh, administrative council will be meeting uh, either by the end of the month or maybe the first, of first week of September as we just continue to talk about uh, denominational things. Uh, again, if you want to talk with me about that, I can't count how many phone calls and lunches and coffees I've had. I love to, I'd love to talk with you about those things. Our council has been taking these concerns that have come up really since the whole time I've been here six years ago. We've been taking them seriously and talking about those things and we have a, a group that's been talking and doing studying and learning about all that's going on and, and they'll be talking to our administrative council in a couple weeks. So our administrative council has been working on those things. I want you to know that. I'm so pleased with them. But here's what I love about our administrative council meetings with the concerns of all that or the potential fear of all that, 
our last meeting, we couldn't get to any of that. I mean, we, we, I'm trying to get out in an hour, right? Trying to, y'all are busy people. We had to stay late because this church wouldn't quit talking about, let me tell you what's going on in our ministry area. And they celebrated that. I love how you all have kept your eye on the ball. I'm grateful to be a part of a church family that not only denominational stuff, but pandemic stuff for over two years now. And there could be a temptation to say, I'm going to step back. You all, I think, it's a, I think it's double now, the missions budget from where it was five or six years ago. Stepping out in faith to say, no matter fears, no matter concerns, no matter the heartache of this pandemic, we're just going to keep funding ministry like we've never done before. I've written some of these things down. I'm just, to hear about what's happening. Celebrate Recovery started a couple of years ago in the midst of all that. It's crazy how much budget we give to that. And it's been a struggle in pandemic. I mean, you start a ministry right before the pandemic and then get hit by that. This church said we're going to be there for people who are struggling with hurts, hang-ups, and habits. And I want you to keep praying for that ministry, pray about your part in that ministry, and, and reach out to people in that ministry. It's not just about, sometimes people think it's about addiction issues. It's so much more about people with grief issues, people with family issues, codependency, but, but to hear stories of how this church has reached for those on the margins. Somebody who regularly attended CR was murdered uh, by her addict boyfriend. And to know that our church had done the work with that girl before that, to reach her and share the gospel. Another person in that group we've lost to addiction. But this church had done the work, had gone to places that are dangerous. You should not go. But members of this church said, I'm going on the margin. Somebody in, the, in, in that group who's not here anymore so I can share this, suicidal, but people in our ministry group said, not only am I going to give three hours a week every Tuesday night for this, but we're going to walk with this girl and we're going to get her home where she can get help. Keeping our eye on the ball in the midst of struggle, in the midst of all we have to do in our lives, to add that, to add Delta Grace to a place in the state of Mississippi where it actually has a, lower, it has a higher poverty rate than Appalachia. And our church to say, we're going to keep going there. They're actually wanting to name the house that they're repairing the Madison House because our church has been up there so often. And we've got another trip planned this fall, and I hope you'll be a part of that. To add marriage ministry that Ben and, and, and Steve are adding. The, the, I came, when I came here, there was, there was real concern because we already have a trip to Honduras. And to wonder, is this going to blow up and we're going to have concerns over adding a second trip? We've fully funded both of them. We've had people going to see the Moody's and to go to Salt and Light. It's a great reminder of how we've continued to add ministries in Brazil, ministries to a couple in Azerbaijan who are risking for the gospel every day they lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We're adding more ministry. I could just go on and on. We'll talk about this in stewardship season. But I've been so th thankful for how our church has continued to say yes in a season of uncertainty, in a season where we could have taken our eyes off of mission and ministry. You can see in verse 12, as well as elsewhere, where fear could have gripped, fear could have gripped and stopped the people 
of God. Fear's a real thing. I, I share this very carefully because I'm going to just make my confession to you. Fear gripped me. Uh, and, it, and, and if it hadn't been for a preacher, it, would, it probably would have gotten the better of me. Uh, recently, there was something in, in the last six years when I've been here, there was, and I'm not going to describe it to you because it's so raw and, and, and such a bad thing that I don't want to uh, drum up things from, from, from whatever you're still struggling with, but something happened in our neighborhood that was horrific. Whatever it might have been, domestic issue, a crime, whatever it was, it was bad, and I can promise you, you would not want to be in the middle of that. I've got my ear, I, my, I tell my wife, I call my ears, whatever those pod things are, I've had them in my ears, I have my ears on, so I'm taking a walk around the neighborhood one, one day, and I'm blasting whatever podcast I'm listening to, or music, and, um, but over, over those ears, I, sw- I, I hear a noise. And I'm thinking, oh, it's that certain house down the road, and it's, they're having that family reunion, and we're, it's going to be a late night. Everybody's, every neighborhood has that one house, right? And so it's going to be that. And then it gets really bad, the, the screaming. And I can hear it even over this, and I'm 100 yards away. And I'm thinking, one of, the, one of the children has gotten hurt, and I take it out. And then I hear the screaming, and I hear what's being said. And I'm frozen in my tracks. I confess that to you. Because I hear what's being said and what's going on. But I had heard a sermon in this room at a, a graduation uh, for Wesley Biblical Seminary. And one of their professors said, Jesus runs to the sound of the pain. That's what he does. And so I ran and got in the middle of a very bad thing, a dangerous thing. I didn't want to do it. But what caught my attention later was, for the longest time, and I, I was on the other side of the neighborhood, no one else came. Church, we've got to run to the sound of the pain. Jesus has run to us. That's what the cross is about. The fence has been moved. All are invited in. Do you need to press through that this morning and let him love you and pour his grace upon you? You felt on the margin, you felt on, that, on the outs. Let him do that. But also, how's it we need to hit the reset button? Where you need to in your neighborhood, in your family, in your community, but through the ministries of this church say, I'm going to be a person who runs to the sound of the pain. I'm going I'm to be involved. I'm going to get going because that's, that's the ministry of our Lord and Savior for us. How is it you and I need to commit to that? Rescue the perishing is our closing hymn. Let's stand together as we sing and as we respond.